Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Boston College 23-10 on Saturday night. It was a little bit boring. Robbie, start us off. So I think uh, tonight, I think we got to recognize what the young wide receivers did for Virginia Tech in that Boston College game. Obviously, the star of the show in what he pulled out was Sean Savoy. Absolutely went to town in that game, played his heart out, and it was amazing. I'll also tie into that how sad we are just you know, as a program for what happened to his brother what subsequently that evening, Omar Rogers. There's a GoFundMe out there, and I would suggest anybody that has any resources whatsoever for his two sons to, to go out and... Um, and, and donate to to that fund because it's it's just really sad how everything played out on such a big night for him and how huge he was for the Hokies and you know for things to turn around that quickly and 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 for that family so prayers go out to him so not a not a cheers tonight we'll just drink to you know getting getting past this hopefully condolences indeed to Sean and his family it was incredibly sad. And we'll now move on to the rest of the podcast, but we're definitely thinking about about Sean and his his brother and his family in general. Cam Phillips left the game on Saturday night. C.J. Carroll didn't even make the trip. Stephen Peoples didn't play. James Clark didn't play. Greg Stroman kind of pulled up with a hamstring late in that game, and Chris Cunningham hasn't recorded the stat in the last two games. I'm not sure if he's injured or not. But right now, going into the bye week, couldn't be timed any better because we definitely need to get healthy for this second half of the season. That's that's the major news item I have. Other than that, there wasn't a whole lot. Did you have anything, Robbie? No, I didn't. That was uh, that was really it. I'm just I'm hopeful that Cam, you know, heals up quickly. Uh, and I, we were all scared and you know, bated breath. I would say it was during the game. So I just hope he he gets healthy quick. And uh, it seemed like he wanted to be back out there with the team. So. Hopefully that's the case. All right, let's jump into our game recap. And this won't take too long because there wasn't that much that happened. That was very exciting. Our first drive ended in an interception. It was a little weird because our wide receiver was being held prior to the throw. But nevertheless, it was tipped and intercepted. On the second drive, we had that long TD to Savoy. It was a great pass by Jackson and a really nice run after the catch by Savoy. We got a field goal and another TD. That was from McMillan before the half, making it 17-3 to at the half. We scored a field goal on our first drive of the second half, and the rest of the game was pretty much mind-numbingly boring. One more uh, score for each team, and it ended 23-10, to Virginia Tech. Unfortunately, we did let them get on the board with a touchdown, but still a, uh, a convincing win in a game that BC never really had a shot. Yeah, I think we absolutely own the game, but... If you were looking for a stereotypical Chestnut Hill matchup and what would be on the box score afterwards, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, it was uh, as you would suspect and as usually happens up there. I'm not sure they had any fans outside of the Taco Bell fan section, and I think those fans get free tacos. Uh, <laughs> and it was... Uh, weak, weak atmosphere. It was a night game, too, with Virginia Tech coming in there. 
just kind of a sad, sad atmosphere. Did you also think the game was not very aesthetically pleasing? The lights were really low and the cameras that ESPN was using, it was, didn't even seem like it was in full HD. Like it, it just didn't look great on TV at all. And it was just ugly to boot. It was B team announcers too. People are pissed off about, you know, some of the announcer comments uh, from the running back about the running backs that nothing really good came of this other than the W and that's it. Yeah, that's how I kind of think of it. But we can let's jump into some of the details here and we can talk about some of the positives because there were there are plenty of positives that came out of yeah, it and definitely. just a few negatives. Um, yeah, despite the injuries at wide receiver, Josh still threw for the second highest total of the season. 22 of 33 passing, 322 yards, a touchdown and a pick. But he was sacked five times. And I, I'd say like, he, some of those sacks were on the offensive line and some were on him. Yeah, the offensive line, at least one was probably on him. And that's always kind of a weird dynamic, especially with Fuente, because he, you either you kind of force it or you don't want to force the ball because if you throw the interception, then you're going to get hell's wrath against you because Fuente is all about protecting the ball. In fact, I would argue that Fuente would rather take a sack than an interception because that's just the way that he always talks about ball protection, known outcomes, etc. But a couple of those were probably on him. The offensive line did not have a good night though. That said, that's a really good defensive line that they went up against and probably really one was. of the best defensive line players in the country that was also, you know, causing a lot of havoc. Yeah, Zach Allen for BC, a guy who I hadn't really heard of before we did our preview. He's a monster. 14 tackles for a defensive end to make 14 tackles, three tackles for loss, broke up that pass and had a hurry. Their D-line in general was way bigger than I thought they'd be. Right. And <laughs> you know, were that's, big boys. And that guy's name's not Landry either. I mean, no. that's incredible to have those two guys. It was so I'm not I'm not losing sleep over the offensive line's performance given how good that defensive line seems to be. But it wasn't great. <laughs> no. But I, I I thought more than one of those was on was on Josh. He was holding on to the ball too long. And something that Fuente said in Tech Talk Live is that because we had those young wide receivers in the game, they were having a hard time getting off the line of scrimmage. He kept calling it um, getting wired at the line of scrimmage. And so like they couldn't get free, causing Josh to hold on to it too long, allowing more pressure and the sack. So the inexperience at wide receiver did show up there, but on the actual yardage gained, I mean, Keen, four for 66, we already talked about the game Savoy had, but it was officially nine receptions, 139 in a TD. Murphy and Kuma both had three catch games, and now they've put together back-to-back three catch games. Keen has six receptions in his last two games. I'm liking what I'm seeing from Kuma, Murphy, and Keen. Those are going to be keys for us down the road. I, I, you know, nobody wants to see Phillips off the field um, and, and what happened with Carroll, uh, you know, Carroll off, Phillips off. But it was kind of a blessing in disguise if everybody's okay. That's number one priority, but it was kind of a blessing in disguise. People had to grow up. Henry Murphy, I know you are not huge on him, but he showed some promise. He had that kind of post-rub route where he he played really well. Dalton Keene got involved in the past game. He had a few blocking woes throughout the game. 
Kuma. But he sprung that one. Uh, was it McMillan's touchdown run that he sprung him? Right, right, yeah. And I, and I just meant in terms of consistency. There's plenty right. of times, and French has talked about this, that he's, I mean, he is key to our blocking scheme. We absolutely, um, he missed a couple that ended up blowing up some plays, but that'll come with time. Uh, Kuma, who's your boy, you love him, <laughs> and he's really starting to break out. And that, that one catch that he had, um, down plowed. the left hand side, and then he just kept going, and it was extremely impressive. I, I, I hope everybody's healthy, but it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise because Fuente wants it to have a deep core, and it's starting to develop a little bit. And yeah, it it really is. And you think about if Clark comes back healthy, who I like Clark because of the speed. You need someone who can take the top off the defense, that's the guy to do it. That's kind of why I'm high on him. But Murphy is starting to grow on me. I, I do like what I'm seeing from him. I've talked about Kuma since the summertime, but you start adding these names up, it starts to be a lot of guys. Now, th- these guys have been thrust into action because of what went on, but uh, I th- even think that just getting those reps will develop them, and soon enough, we're going to have a decent amount of depth at wide receiver if this continues like this. And that kind of confidence can really help at a position at wide receiver. These guys getting a chance and getting some catches. Yeah, it's huge. And it's it's only going to get better from here. Trayvon went over 100 yards from scrimmage and had that rushing TD. It was his highest rushing total of the year at 88 yards and 17 carries, which is a lot in Fuente's offense. We've talked a little bit before we came on today just about the running back rotation and because of Stephen Peoples being out, it's allowed more carries for Trayvon. And he was having a good game against Clemson until he fumbled. And he had a good game in this game. So I really think Trayvon's momentum is starting to build here as well. And that he might finally be out of Fuente's quote-unquote doghouse. That's not really fair anymore because he has run for so many yards and caught for so many yards since the beginning of last year. But I never felt like it was truly Fuente's boy and now he might start to be. Yeah, he had, you mentioned it before we got on here, that great TD run down the left-hand side showed perfect vision. Granted, the blocking on that was also magnificent, so yeah, he had an awesome swim lane to head down. Uh, I noticed the his kind of jump cut that for the first down that he had, which showed a lot of athleticism. He's really... You know, he's he's and been how about good. that play where uh, it was in the giftery from Joe, where he literally threw the one guy to the ground after being stopped dead. Like, yeah, he stiff is arm. so strong. Yeah, so I think it's really exciting to see what he's doing, and uh, you know, he for me is the number one, probably for you. Um, that's also you know. That being said, a couple of weeks ago, Stephen Peoples has had, you know, we were he all, had three touchdowns. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we were all fawning over him. But imagine I could, I'd be perfectly happy with Peoples comes back and just putting them as a tie, one, one and one. They can just trade off. That would be awesome. Yeah, they do different things. You know, Peoples is is more of your power, like straight up power back because he's he's heavier. He's practically a fullback. He was a fullback before this year, and. Trayvon is more of your prototypical running back and has like plus speed, like top-notch speed for a running back. And then McLeese is the third one in the three-headed monster we've mentioned, is your shifty guy, change of pace type. And those three together are great. 
But if you're giving me a carry at any point in the game, I don't care where it is or what the yardage is. I want Trayvon to take it first. And if he needs to spell, Peoples and McLeese. That That's always been my opinion. Unless it's the half-yard line, then you want Peoples just to bust that through. I mean, you got to go. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> it was another strong day uh, from the defense as well. It's weird. This year, there hasn't been like the standout statistical performances. It's just good team defense, and they don't let people score. It's... It's uh, Last year, we had Woody and Tremaine just throwing up ridiculous tackles for loss numbers, and that's not really happening this year. Now, the tackles for loss have been better than the sacks, but they're not coming like they were last year, but like the team is just good. Like We don't let – the running defense is really good, and, I mean, we held Anthony Brown to 13 of 30 for 166 yards. Now, he's not a good quarterback, but we did what you're supposed to do. We were not getting sacks but we were blowing up every play. It was actually extremely bizarre. And the, it, the best way to talk about it is setting the tone early on when Tim Settle went right up the middle, right at the beginning, I think, of the first quarter. And yeah. they got the handoff to the running back. The running back had the ball, so it wasn't going to be a sack. And Tim Settle literally destroyed that like running back. And I don't know if it was Hillman at that point, but it probably was. And it was a massacre. And, he pasted him, man. Yeah, and he just took him down. So there there weren't sacks. Yeah, it wasn't maybe the, uh, I guess, most high profile, but it was just dominant defense. Yeah, and Ricky and Tim had four and a half of those five tackles for loss themselves. Mm-hmm. They are becoming beasts. They already were the physical specimens, and we knew what Ricky could do, and we were looking for just that next level from Tim. Well, now it's becoming game in and game out. These guys are consistent. They get in the backfield. They get pressure. They're, I mean, they're unbelievable at this point. Like That was a really good performance. No, it's not the best offense in the world, but we've seen this week after week after week from these two guys. They are monsters on the inside, and – if just a little bit more from the outside, we're going to start seeing those sacks and those QB hurries come. Couldn't agree more. They are dominant. Some miscellaneous stuff. We got Sly back on track. That was nice, right? Three for three. They were all closer, but that's the part that he's been missing that's been, you know, been the, the problem. So it's good to see Joey get back on track, and he broke the record. Shane Graham's points record. I think he had the field goal record, and now it was the points record, something like that. That's right. And maybe that was – I heard like maybe that was what was on his mind or something, and now that that's clear, he'll be okay and he won't miss the easy field goals anymore. I hope that's true. I hope so. Or he just got it out of his system. That would be, you know, whatever the case may be or whatever excuse we have to make, I'm down for that. (laughs) We also burned Drake – Dealus's red shirt. Yeah, that he, was that was well. It's coming to light. I think why it happened, but that was crazy. It was, and he he was number nine, I think. And I saw him out there. And I'm like, who is that? Like, I I and I was this tall, the drink of water, a uh, white dude on the outside. I'm like, who is that guy? And I had to look up the roster. I'm like, oh, that's Dealus, and he was someone we thought might play this year, but once he hadn't come out for the first few games, I thought there was no chance we'd see him. His high school tape was awesome. Like I loved watching him uh, when we did our signing day preview or recap or whatever it was. 
240. The coaches love what he's doing in practice, clearly, because they thought he needed to get on the field. Obviously, we were shorthanded, and that contributed to it. He's a tight end, but he's kind of a wide receiver too. Like He's kind of in between right now, a little bit skinnier. In a couple years, he might fill that tight end role better. But right now, I think they want him as a pass catcher. Yeah, I think so, and that's what it's looking like. He's going to be on that side. There, there are comments about him. You know, the Bucky Hodges kind of you know comparison yeah. and that comparison, and that's not interesting because uh, I don't really think that that has always been Fuente's bread and butter is having kind of the gigantic kind of tight end. But once he had it, it's a little bit like doing the drug. You're like, you want Bucky back again or a Bucky-type player. I think it's because he creates such a matchup problem. And Fuente loves guys who can win in tight coverage. And you're not going to get a better shot at that than with a guy who's 6'5". You're just not. Works perfect. Did you have anything else? Uh, notes from the game? Uh I think number one, my kind of takeaway or note from the game was the defense played awesome and hat tip to them to making it just, they dominated so many facets of that game and really impressed with them. I I think the penalties were a severe problem in this game. And I think that's yeah. due to a couple things. It was, the young team was out there on offense and we're in not even hostile territory. I'll call it sleepy territory where nobody really cared because we were unfamiliar territory. (laughs) Yeah. Unfamiliar territory. And I think we need to clean that up. Um, meaningfully. I also think that to my point and I, I tweeted about this is I think we could have finished that game off a little sooner than we did. The, the team that was on the field and you can talk about whether or not, uh, Cam Phillips coming off had an effect on the offense. The fact is, is that the younger wide receivers would played amazing. They played great. In fact, the yards after catch were beyond anything that we've seen for the past season and a half. So overall, we were having a lot of success in this game. And then things just kind of stalled really after about five minutes in the third quarter. And I'd love to just, you know, put the gas on, get the game over with, go up and you don't have to run up the scoreboard, but it's important. And I felt like we dominated that first quarter, that second quarter and the beginning part of the third quarter. And I think we started to play a little bit safe. And it just reminds me of some things that Beamer used to get criticized for, which was leaning back on the defense. And that's not something that I really characterize Fuente as wanting to do is leaning back on the defense. It felt like this game we were leaning back on the defense, and I understand there are players that were out, yeah. but that's even more important at those times to try and build an offense. That's what Ohio State does. Ohio State, they try and run up the scoreboard so they can put their <laughs> backups in, and I just felt like we could have gone up by some points and really just built out um, an, a, a new level of offense with those basically freshmen and sophomore that we had out on the field and taking some shots and, and really giving them a chance to try and shine in this game. And I don't know if we really did that. Yeah, it's a hard balance. You know, Fuente was content to get the lead and sit on it. We had almost 19 minutes of possession in the second half. 
but not really the points to match that. It must have been something to the effect of like you either don't want to get guys injured, which not the best argument, or the only way Boston College can get back in that game is if you make a mistake. And Fuente just didn't want to make that mistake with a bunch of young guys on the field. I said last week that this was a win by any means necessary game, and that's really that's kind of what it ended up being. Like it was, we didn't cover, and we neither of us picked us in this game, <laughs> um, and and we turned out to be correct. Uh, and a banged up team after a big loss against Clemson on the road at night to to win by just about two touchdowns. I still think that's really well done. And I want to clarify something else because. Someone said, like, I'm confused about your feelings on the team after listening to last week's podcast. And I think it's because I said, if we blow them out, I'll feel even better about our team, but don't expect it. All I meant was, in this specific game, it's just not going to be pretty because it was coming off of Clemson because we knew we had guys hurt that it hasn't changed my outlook on how good Tech is. I still think we're going to win nine or ten games. And... That every time, every week that we win another game, that total can go up because we're not getting the stupid loss, uh, and we need to avoid that in two weeks. But we'll talk about it in, a, in a little bit. I just meant for this particular game, it wasn't a good spot in the season. I made maybe a smart or dumb decision to pick us to go ten and two, and the only thing I feel like today is that I made the right decision to say that we were going to go ten and two. I feel as confident in that as I feel in anything. So I know that people want to reset expectations and say, hey, you know, we lost Gerard Evans, we lost Bucky, we lost Isaiah Ford, we lost Sam Rogers. You know, give everybody, you know, take take your foot off the gas. I was confident that Josh Jackson was going to be good because if he, he went up against you know, Gerard Evans, and he gave him a shot last year. I thought that Fuente was good enough to come up with schemes and 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 put together an offense, and that's why I was over my skis probably at the time, but I feel super confident in this team, and that's why I want them to play well, and they want to play well. So it's not judgmental. It's not anything else, but you're allowed to be critical of stuff that happens in a game. That's just football and you know they're probably right and i'm probably wrong but that's the whole point of this i didn't have as much problem with what we did on offense as just that one drive where bc scored in four plays or whatever it was that that was the only part of the game where i was like that should not have happened us like kind of taking our foot off the gas in the second half i'm okay with i'm you know more okay with that than the defense just not showing up for a drive against the worst offense in FBS. Well, it looked like we were in prevent, but there was no prevent. So that, <laughs> yeah. like you, we were in a prevent defense, but nobody was actually going to tackle in the backfield. So I didn't understand that. That's when I almost threw my control, you know, my remote like through the TV, just because I don't like garbage time TVs. I don't want to have to sit there and have people wonder why BC kept it closer than they did. It wasn't. It was not a close game. We dominated that game from start to finish, and we shouldn't have given up seven at the end. No. It's all right, though. In in the end, we got our win. We got to get to the bye week. We have all of our coastal matchups ahead of us, and this can be a very, very special season. We can get to that 10-2 and mark that uh, that you predicted if things go our way just a little bit in the second half. But let's take a beer break right now. Robbie, what are you drinking? 
So I am drinking the Rosemary's Baby. So you may be familiar with the the movie Rosemary's Baby, and it's from Two Roads Brewing. It's a scary good pumpkin ale. So I'm I'm rolling with this. I think we both are, right? Just going yeah, pumpkin. Yeah, round two of our round pumpkin two. beers. That's right. Uh, two Roads makes a lot of great beers, and this is no exception. It is a pumpkin beer, not too powerful. It's delicious. I would highly suggest it. It's a great pumpkin beer. I'm drinking the Pumpkin Spice Latte by Breckenridge Brewery. It's a pumpkin coffee stout, and it basically is like a Guinness, but with just a little bit of pumpkin flavor. As for the coffee flavor, like I'm not getting that as much because I, I love coffee beers. But this one is just a little bit of pumpkin and hardly any coffee. But I like Guinness, so I'm enjoying it. <laughs> the <laughs> Pumpkin Spice Latte by Breckenridge. I love it. You're getting that you get nitro in there with the pumpkin, with so the coffee. Smooth. Do you want to do some just topics before we do our picks? I've got you know stuff on our strength of schedule and upcoming games. Yeah, let's do it. We really could use a couple wins by the teams that we've played to help out our strength of schedule. I'm not saying we're going to make the playoff or anything, but it's nice when you're viewed as playing a tough schedule and people are like, you know what? They went out and they beat West Virginia. West Virginia is at the top of the Big 12. Well, West Virginia lost a heartbreaker for them to TCU the other day. Kenny Hill went off at the end. Uh, I watched that game because my pick five included that game, which you know I was paying a lot of attention to, and I picked right, which was West Virginia. That got really close towards the end. The real problem with West Virginia is Will Greer is just all over the place. You know, sometimes he's consistent. Sometimes then other times he's just bombing out 45 yard passes and not even close to wide receivers. He's just, there's no consistency in his game whatsoever. But TCU is a really good team. I think we've learned based on their schedule. Uh, I think that West Virginia game against TCU actually helped us that they kept it close. Yeah, people at least know TCU at this point. Like They're a good team, and so if you play them tight like West Virginia did in TCU's house when they had game day, it reflects well. But West Virginia has got to beat Texas Tech this weekend. Yes, that is a must, and you're going to have an air raid basically against... Holgerson, I would not call him a pure air raid type. He's like a... He's like a almost a run option air raid, you know, coach, but he's going up yeah. against what's going to be a high flying offensive performance. They need to win that game. West Virginia needs to tighten things up and get some wins because that's our marquee win right now. That's right. what we got. Yeah, I have our SOS at eighty one according to Sagrin, eighty seven according to Kali, which was one of the former BCS computer rankings. And then Massey has us at 31, which I don't know how that's possible, but that's where he has us. He, clearly, like the average of that is somewhere in the 60s, but it's not good. I mean, we ECU and ODU were far worse than we expected them to be this year, and they haven't done jack. I mean, ECU's only win is against uh, UConn, and they just only scored 10 points on Temple. And Temple has dropped off significantly this year, so... 
they're not having a good season. We knew that already. And ODU, the injuries and playing a freshman quarterback, they're struggling too. BC stinks. That's not going to get us any any brownie points. All we, we have just, is we got we, we got to beat North, Miami. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Georgia Tech actually. So Georgia Tech's been you know playing well this year. It, it happens every year when you don't pay attention to them. They play well. When you pay attention to them, they play like you know poop. And yeah. they are playing all right this year. So, but those are also back to back games. So we actually have if we can get through these next two, which is dangerous because I still think. I think still think Jones is a good quarterback. I think that things have gone awry. Daniel Jones from Duke. Yeah, for Duke, which is two weeks or three weeks from now. I still think he's a really good quarterback, so that's a dangerous game. I think we should be able to handle UNC, I hope. But those back-to-back games are extremely important, and that's going to dictate, in my mind, you know, where we end up. And those teams should do pretty well. Miami has a tough game coming up. Miami versus Georgia Tech this weekend. Yes. Sorry. And as long as Miami wins that game, we should have a be up against the top 10 team. Well, that's something I wanted to ask you. Would you rather have Miami win to assure them, not necessarily assure them, because I guess they could lose the following week uh, before they play us, but like you want Miami to win or you want Georgia Tech to win? Because Georgia Tech winning helps us in the Coastal because Georgia Tech has to play Clemson this year. Miami does not. Miami's already beaten FSU. And then you might get two quality games, one against GT and one against Miami. But if Georgia Tech loses, they already have a loss. They're probably going to get another loss to Clemson. That win now starts to look worse. And I'm not saying we're going to be either of these teams. I'm just saying... I wonder what Hokie fans want this weekend in terms of who do you want to win the Miami-Georgia Tech game? Yeah, if Georgia Tech wins, then we probably have two top 25 matchups coming up on the radar, it looks like. Uh, I don't care about that. I want Miami as high as possible. Okay. I want to take them on... I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't have a hatred against Miami. I have... A rivalry hatred against Miami. Does that make sense? Like, I just yes. want that to be a big game. Like, I don't care yeah, you about want them Miami to be fans. really pumped about their team and then us to just squash it. Yeah. I want the Miami is back, which started this week, just like you said it would. The Miami is back <laughs> no, with the K. Back, <laughs> no CK, just the K is all over the place. People are talking about it. Bruce Feldman's talking about it on his podcast. It's already started. A Miami alum. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why I said he's yeah. already started. And he's actually pretty conservative about Miami because he doesn't want to seem like a homer. Exactly. So I think I want Miami as high as possible. And I want that to be a marquee matchup and it to, to matter. It would be great. It it. it Okay, for strength of schedule and things like that, if Georgia Tech won, it would probably actually improve our strength of schedule because they would be both be ranked higher. But well, I don't it's really not going to improve that. this schedule, like strength of schedule overall, because they're both in the coastal. Like we have to play them both, so it doesn't really matter. One team's going to win, one team's going to lose. But what it does potentially improve is our eyes in the view of the playoff committee because they look at top twenty-five wins. Now, if Georgia Tech wins. They already have a loss, but they, like I said, they have to play Clemson. They have an extremely tough schedule, including Georgia at the end of the year. 
they have one of the toughest schedules left in FBS, and I can't run it all off the top of my head, but it's they got to play UVA right before they play us. They got Clemson before they play us, and they got Miami before they play us. They they have a gauntlet of really good defensive lines. I think Wake is in there too before they play Tech, and it's down in Atlanta. Um, they're not going to be. They're not going to have a very good record, and at the end of the year, they're not going to be a top twenty-five team. So I think I want Miami to win for that reason alone. Because if Miami wins, they're going to be a top twenty-five team for a while, most likely. Yeah, that makes sense, and that's my my goal. I would rather my regardless of everything else, I want Miami high, and I want to be playing them when they're riding high. That's fun. And that goes yeah. back to 2005. It, it goes back to, you know, it goes back to old school Virginia Tech football, which that's when things are great. Our upcoming QBs that we're playing, it's Chaz Surratt from UNC, Daniel Jones, and then Rozier from Miami. Surratt is 75th in the QBR. Jones, who has just dropped and dropped and dropped every week, I, I posted a tweet about, his completion percentage, but he's at 109th in the QBR out of like 128 qualified guys. Like it, it's, it's really bad. And then Rozier is up at 17th. So that's a significant test coming in at a position for Miami, which we thought would be a weakness, but he's been playing well. He has shown up and that was one of the biggest question marks for Miami. That said, Miami also lost Walton, which is a huge ding to them as well. It really so, is. So they're dealing with uh, an overachieving by far at the QB position, and they don't have much depth behind him at running back. So a lot of shakeup has been happening uh, to the positive for them over the course of the season, but the negative over the course of the last week. All right, let's take another quick beer break before we do our picks. So, Pete, what are you having over there? I'm having the Southern Tier Cold Press Coffee Pumpkin. You had the Rum Barrel Pumpkin last week. We talked about the regular pumpkin that we've had in the years past. And this is the coffee version. It's an imperial ale with notes of pumpkin and light roasted coffee. And unlike my last beer, which is another pumpkin coffee beer, you can really taste the coffee in this one. And it is sweet. Southern Tier does their things a little bit sweeter. Uh, and they love to have like something that's flavored and really tastes like that flavor. This tastes exactly like it sounds on the label. Like if you're looking for a coffee-flavored beer with some of that kind of like that fake pumpkin flavor, <laughs> that's exactly what this has. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like it's it's intense. It's just a lot of flavor in this puppy. I like it. I'm not sure it's my f- most favorite coffee beer or my most favorite pumpkin beer, but I'm enjoying it. 8.6% alcohol. I'd recommend it. The Cold Press Coffee Pumpkin. What are you having, Robbie? So I can embarrass myself pretty bad here. This could be this could be really kind of gold for anybody listening. The way that this should be pronounced is not the way that I... I can go just plain English or I can try and attempt at it. I can can't what, wait for what this. What do you want me to do? Like, you give, want me to give, give me your pronunciation. <laughs> Chacuis a lanterne. So it is... <laughs> it's, it's the jack-o'-lantern. I know. Jacques. It's uh, jack uh, Yes, I know. But look, you can see I'm showing uh, you. Yeah. 
It is. Uh, it's French. It's supposed to be French. Sure. Ja- it's supposed to be Jack o' Lantern, and <laughs> I could not do French for the life of me anyway. So uh, that's just for everybody's entertainment. I think that's- I've had that one. It's. I think it was pretty good. I can't recall though. What? Yeah, what you yeah. Like I think about? you have had this one on here, and after I bought it, uh, I was. Screwed. I don't know if I've had it on the pod. I yeah. know I've had it in general. It's amazing. It's Evolution Craft Brewing. They're out of Maryland. And it's delicious. It's a Belgian style pumpkin ale, which actually is kind of unique. And I think it gives it the right. I, I kind of like Belgian beers. I'm not hooked on them. I don't drink them all the time. I'm not, you know, I'm not Oh Garden. I'm not drinking every other week, but it's a nice flavor to mix the pumpkin with the Belgian style. And it, I think those fit pretty well together. So, and you don't see a lot of those that uh, you get a Belgian style beer with a, with a pumpkin. I'm, this is probably the first time I've ever seen it. So it's delicious. Highly recommend it. Even if you only have it a couple times, just don't try and pronounce the name of the, it. The Jacques. Jacques Olantin. Jacques Olantin. <laughs> I think it's, that's probably about right. Let's get into these picks. We've got Clemson at Syracuse. going to start us off. No VT game. We're on a bye, unfortunately. So we're going to start with our ACC games, and then we got one game outside the ACC. So it's Syracuse. At home, playing Clemson. Clemson's number two, and they are 22.5-point favorites. Who do you like? Syracuse. I like Cuse as well. I Clemson hasn't covered. They, they didn't cover against us, or they did cover against us, but they didn't cover against BC. They didn't cover against Wake. Syracuse has that high-flying attack. They, they might shut it down, but it's in the dome. Yeah, it's whenever it's in the carrier dome that doesn't have carrier AC, then you got to go with Syracuse. <laughs> Next game, Florida State at Duke. Florida State is seven and a half point favorites. I'll take this one. I'm going to pick Duke. I don't love the pick. Florida State has had a really tough schedule to start off this year. And under normal circumstances, you'd think this spread would be larger. But I'm going to take Duke anyway to cover that 7.5. Jones has been struggling. I'm, I'm hoping for a bounce back. I, I think I I always do this. I just go down with the ship. Like when I start picking four or five times in a row, I just go down with the ship. And I lose the next. In fact, the safest bet for anybody probably is Duke this week that you can pop, and I'm going FSU. <laughs> you haven't taken FSU all year, and you're going to stick with it? And them. I've lost every single time. I actually <laughs> just looked back today. <laughs> all right, next game, NC State at Pittsburgh. NC State's now number 20 after the big win against Louisville at home last Thursday night, and they're 11-point favorites against Pittsburgh. Robbie, who do you got? I'm going to go with NC State. They're starting to show something. It's looking kind of kind of nice now. And our comment about Pitt, I still don't know what I'm getting from Pitt. What whether it's offensively or defensively, they don't really have any sort of a. Uh, they don't have a mold, a reputation. I don't. I, I don't know what they are actually trying to do this year. And NC State actually looks pretty decent. So I'm going to go, that's a lot of points. I would probably prefer it to be seven, something along those lines, but I'm still going to go with NC state. 
I'm going to take Pitt, but it's only on a gut feeling. It doesn't have anything to do really with what we've seen on the field. I will say Pitt did cover against Penn State. They did cover last week against Syracuse by a half a point. So I'm going to take them to cover only because NC State's coming off that big win. But, man, Pitt's pass defense is so bad, and Lindley for NC State is so – or Finley or Lindley? I don't know. Finley. He's so – Finley. He's so good, and Naheem Hines is so good that I do think NC State's going to win. I just think Pitt might cover. Next game, Boston College at Louisville. Louisville is 22-point favorites. I'll go first this time. I'll take BC. They did it to Clemson. They did it to us. They're going to cover Louisville. Who do you got? 100%. I can't. Even, I don't even understand why it's 22. Vegas must know something, and we're going to look like idiots next week because that being 22 does not make any sense to me whatsoever, given ours was 16 and a half, and Clemson was, what were they? 35. Tw- yeah. Yeah. It was 35. <laughs> All right, well, and maybe that 22 that. does make sense, actually, but I'll still take BC. And, well, first of all, they, BC dismantled that 35. So Yeah, it, they did. Yeah. Well, when it really came down to it, they lost 34-7, to seven, so it wasn't that far, but they had it at 7-7 seven, seven in the fourth quarter. Right. It, yeah, the garbage time touchdowns don't – I'm not really a big fan of counting that in. All right, next game, UVA at UNC. UNC is reeling right now. UVA, off to their best season in a long time. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites against UNC. I honestly thought that could have been more. And it, I'm going to take UVA. Yeah, UVA is going to – yeah, that's – I think this is a no-brainer. Mendenhall may not be – they may not be world beaters this year, but they have some momentum. And Bronco, you can call him a lot of things, but he's a good coach, and he's going to use that momentum, and I think they're going to beat that three-and-a-half by far. The worst thing for UNC was that I think their quarterback, Surratt, after the game was like, I don't know where do where we go from here. Like it was something that that was the gist, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. It was like I don't know how to play football anymore. Which is surprising. It, it, I mean, that's bad coaching right there though. Like that just means like your coach is not giving you anything that you feel confident about, like, all right, we'll take this and learn from this. Like, he's just like, I don't know what to do. Well, it was funny because everybody was, well, I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people were talking about Fedora heading out the door, you know, during the preseason, you know, during the offseason. Yeah, this well, past. last year. And right? now. And, uh, the LSU job came open. People were mentioning his name. It's like, are you kidding me? Now. Like, he's not a great coach. Now it looks, if he did get any of those offers, now he's like, holy hell, I should have taken that. <laughs> They had some good recruiting classes, and they had Marquise Williams, and that was keeping that program together. And Switzer, and yeah, I mean they had yeah, and and of course the defensive coordinator, and that that hurt them. Let's be honest; they didn't expect Gene Chizik to just surprisingly retire, and it's really hurt them. It's hurt their defense, and they're right back to where they were before they got Chizik, which just means that Fedora is really not that good. <laughs> mm, yeah, I agree. All right, next game, Georgia Tech at Miami, the big one in the ACC, particularly important to us. Miami is number 11, and they're five-and-a-half-point favorites. This has come down because it was six-and-a-half. It might have even been seven, and people are picking the Bs. Who do you got? I hate this game. I wish this game actually wasn't on the schedule because in either case, it doesn't 
bode well for us. It's a detriment. Either team that loses, it just dings us. I just wish we could skip this week. But I think I think Miami, and I'm doing this on the fly, I think Miami is actually, I'm not saying they're back, but I think they're actually a good team this year. And I'm going to take this one on the chin. I'm going to go Miami with the five and a half. I'm going to take Georgia Tech, but like you, I don't feel confident. It's it's a hard pick. I saw it when I had to pick it for my pick it was six and a half. Either way, it's about the same. And I struggled, but I picked Georgia Tech. I just think that was a really big win. They don't have Mark Walton. They had some other guys get nicked up in their safety. I'll take Georgia Tech. They've been killing people, and they should have won that Tennessee game. But they didn't. I'll take them anyway. We'll see. This is going to be a slugfest. And I guess with Miami with no running back and Georgia Tech facing all these D-lines, I, I know you don't like this as much as I do, but, like, hey, if these teams come into playing Tech in a couple weeks all banged up, I'm okay with it. <laughs> I I just like seeing people at their at their best, not, not at their worst. And... It, I'll, I'll do a quick aside here and then we'll get into the last one is listening to tying it back to the BC game. I was listening to Bill Colony. Or Colony. I always do this every single time. <laughs> Bill and Connolly. Connolly. And he was talking about his stats, which I actually like respect. You do. You like the S&P plus. Of it's, course, it's, yeah. But Ohio State's number one in the country right now based on his rankings. And it's because he rewards blowouts. He rewards in his stats, you know, beating up on teams. So it's based on like a per play type of metric. And like, there's a lot of things that go into it, but if you blow teams out, it helps you. Right. So I, I want teams to come in with the Miami's got really good stats. They're ranked really high. And I want to be able to hear about Virginia tech and hear about them on the radio. And the only way to do that is to play good teams that have really good stats and then blow out teams that are either decent or bad. And that's what it comes down to. I want Miami to come in full throttle, and I want to throttle them. That's fair enough, man. So the last game we're going to pick is outside the ACC, and there's no top 25 matchups this week, as far as I could tell. So we've got Oklahoma at Texas. Uh, Texas is technically the home team, but this is the Red River rivalry or the Red River shootout, showdown, Triple whatever R. you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. It's the uh, the Texas State Fair, correct? And they play it at uh, the Cotton Bowl? Am, am, I, am I making that up? I don't even know. I don't know. think you are. But I do know All that right. they fry a lot of things. Good, like they good. fry everything. <laughs> Oklahoma's number 12 after getting upset by Iowa State's third-string quarterback. I watched almost all of that game. It was on FS1, and just like any college football fan, you want to see upsets. And watching them take the lead, then get tied, then take the lead again in the fourth quarter was something to behold. It was really impressive. That Iowa State team would not be denied. And all the guys, they were direct snapping to one guy running. Their third-string quarterback was throwing perfect passes. It was unbelievable, and they upset the Sooners in Norman. Who do you got in this game? This is a really hard pick. Baker just got embarrassed because they had the Ohio State game. They won. He planted his Heisman moment. He planted his Heisman moment. He planted the flag. 
they just got destroyed by a team that could arguably be an FCS and they planted the flag on on him. So I think he's got a lot to prove. He was also the one saying running around saying who's your daddy? And I don't like calling people out, but actually Baker's kind of a piece of shit. So uh yeah, running around the field earlier this year saying who's your daddy. So I'm glad they lost and but I do think he's going to do like the whole bounce back against the team that is in Texas, which sucks. The Texas, yeah, they're better now. You know, they're they're getting better. Yeah, they're getting better. They're also Texas. They recruit in the number one recruiting area in the nation. You wake up and you have four and five star recruits. The ability to not be a top twenty five team in Texas actually takes work. Like you have to have your kids not show up for practice in order to not be tw- top twenty five. So I'm not really buying that. Oklahoma is going to, I think, cover that only because Baker Mayfield just got embarrassed. I'm going to take Texas. It's eight points, if I didn't say that earlier. Eight points is the spread. I'm going to take Texas against the eight points because of their defense. Their defense showed up against USC up until the end, and Sam Darnold worked some magic. But their defense has been really good. And that same Iowa State team – Texas went into Ames and shut them down. And Oklahoma gave up almost 40 points. So Oklahoma's defense has some problems. Texas defense is really good. And weird things happen in this game. Like every time you think the better team's going to win this one, it goes the exact opposite. Texas could win straight up. I'm going to take them against the spread and, uh, and we'll see what happens. All right, that'll do it for the podcast. A lot of good pumpkin beers. I actually had another pumpkin beer before I even started tonight. And <laughs> I had a couple of local ones. I had a one from Wilkes-Barre called the Stagmire Pumpkin Ale, and I had one from Kensington, Philadelphia Brewing Company, called the Kenza Lantern. And they were both really good as well. Um, I love pumpkin beer season. I know not everyone's a huge fan of it, but the two I had tonight, being the coffee style, I enjoyed that. Uh, it's a little bit of a twist on the typical pumpkin ale brewed with spices uh i'm sad to see it go we'll do some winter porters though coming up here not too long to do a theme episode but uh we always enjoy our pumpkin beer episodes i hope robbie enjoyed it as well i did and i hope everybody enjoyed me speaking french on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) all right so we got to buy this week enjoy the week off unfortunately there's no top 25 games but the red river shootout it's always fun And that Georgia Tech-Miami game, keep your eye on it. It will go a long way into deciding who wins the Coastal this year. And who you want to root for for the rest of the season for Virginia Tech. I mean... I'm sure there's differing opinions on who people want to win that game. Right. Until next week, we'll be previewing UNC. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.